The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. So you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind a show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid I... They knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now... They bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of my nose in from today and and from here on out and I want to tell you something I'm changing the card it's going to be Jeff because I stood out here and ran him off like a goof and that cast is more of a weapon he's tougher now than he was before he broke his arm he used it pretty good so I'm gonna I'm gonna change that card and it's gonna be Jeff and Mantell and I'm gonna be in his corner and I want to tell you something Robert that hag you run around with you with that stick. Jeff won't hit her, but I'll bust her right in her nose and I'll take that stick. Yeah, there you are. Hey, Robert, now you're pausing Wait a minute, buddy. You let me tell you something. I know you're crazy now, man. I know it. And you should not have been able to breathe. You wouldn't have the problem with that punk that you got right now, baby. Yeah, you're... You take that and smoke it in your pipe. Let me tell you what you take and smoke in your pipe, you long drink of water. I knew your daddy for all my life. I was his partner for eight years, and I respect him then, and I respect him now. What I don't know, Robert Fuller, is who the milkman in your neighborhood was. You ain't, Robert, you're not Buddy Fuller's son. You're some milkman, son. And brother, that makes you a bastard child. There's always, not one, always. Oh my God, they piled up. No, come on. All right, you got it. Get off, buddy.
This is the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling, and you are listening to another amazing episode here of the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling podcast, brought to you today and powered by our TMPT Con 3. Two weeks away from the big one, TMPT Con 3 coming to you from Richmond, Virginia at the Holiday Inn on Commerce Road. You can visit tmptofwrestling.com right now to get all the information on the event that is going to take over the RVA as the 35th anniversary of Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express comes to you with an entire Jim Cornette experience to follow. So make your plans to join us at TMPT Con 3 on May 18th in richmond virginia and again all the information is over on our website tmptofwrestling.com and if you didn't know by now my name is chad and as always i'm joined by my tag team partner the one and only jp john paz and jp soon to follow with an interview he conducted with legendary promoter and a legendary mind of the wrestling business, the one and only Jerry Jarrett, coming back to the two-man power trip to discuss the Jarrett Parsons TV on the Roku device. And Jarrett Parsons TV is an absolute portal and a time machine, if you will, back to the glory days of professional wrestling, going back all the way to the 1950s to the current day product where you'll find some matches you've never seen before, maybe matches you've heard about, but it's time to dig into some wrestling gold, courtesy of a man who created a lot of wrestling gold, and that is the one and only Jerry Jarrett. Now, Jerry Jarrett joined us a few years back and did a very in-depth interview looking back on the entire run of his promoting career, his wrestling career, his uh, personal relationships. He went into everything that he possibly could a few years back on the two-man power trip, so if you can go back and dig into our archives I implore you to do so because it is an absolutely uh, jam-packed knowledge fest of the career of Jerry Jarrett in that original episode. And this one, although we do dig into some of the history, it's more about this Jarrett Parsons TV wrestling on the Roku device. Uh, Just when you go through the names of the shows and the names of the promotions that he's got, it is so cool to see if you've never seen anything from them or if you've only seen a little bit and want to get a more uh, in-depth look at the products themselves, well, you can go ahead and do that. And I'm talking about territories like Portland Wrestling. I'm talking about Continental Wrestling. I'm talking about uh, IWA Wrestling. I'm talking about all these different Southwest Championship Wrestling, all these different great promotions that you've heard about or you've seen little snippets of well you're going to get to see them on the Jarrett Parsons wrestling uh, channel on Roku uh, to include a lot of original content uh, hosted by a a number of individuals and including a number of individuals that are going to give you some great insight into the wrestling world including our good friend our co-host in the triple threat podcast the franchise shane douglas has a role in the jared parsons wrestling tv it features weekly programming hosted by legends not only shane douglas but also jerry jared himself bill Eady, rip rogers bill lapter and so many more there there's documentaries there's specials there's stuff from high spots on there but really it's that wrestling content that i i just want you to go and check it out uh roku will give you a nice little preview if you go to their website but also if you just have you have a roku device i know i have one i know john has one if you got the roku device select the jarrett parsons wrestling tv channel and you will not be disappointed but you also will not be disappointed as john digs into it one more time with jerry jarrett here 
on the two-man power trip of wrestling. And the most important part, JPTV is free on that Roku device, so there's no need to worry about anything. You don't have to subscribe for a a fee. You don't have to worry about that. This is for you to go check out, and that couldn't be any more fan-friendly on top of all this great content that you're going to check out when you log in to this amazing uh, wrestling portal. Like I said, a time machine to the past, to the superstars, to the territories, and the legends that we love, we love to watch, and we wish we could see them on a weekly basis still to this day. But here they are, just kind of dug into this this nice little package that is JPTV, available right now on the Roku. But also want to include that Jerry Jarrett is a great follow on Twitter, uh, giving out basically... Uh, free advice that people should be paying a lot of money for if they want to get into professional wrestling. Uh, He gives insight. He tells you little stories. He gives you little tidbits. But if you're uh, somebody who wants to know more about the wrestling business and how it works, well, this is a man that basically put together uh, a a century of talent, a century of angles, and timeless, timeless events that are still being looked at today. But on Twitter, he gives you little snippets left and right, uh, little words of wisdom, if you will. So get onto Twitter right now, follow Jerry Jarrett, and tell him you heard him on the two-man power trip of wrestling. And check out JPTV, the Jarrett Parsons Wrestling TV on Roku. So that's enough out of me. Let's wrap it up here with a little two-man power trip of wrestling business. As I said, today's episode is brought to you by our TMPTCon that in a matter of days, a matter of a little uh, under two weeks, really, we've got TMPTCon 3, the 35th anniversary of the Midnight Express, coming to you from Richmond, Virginia, featuring the Midnight Express, Stan Lane, Dennis Condry, Bobby Eaton, and Jim Cornette, all under one roof, and also a very special Jim Cornette experience taking place following the convention's end, but also we have a litany of ECW superstars in the house, including our co-hosts from the Triple Threat, the franchise Shane Douglas, reuniting with Francine, as well as Jerry Lynn, just incredible, the Sandman, but also attending the legendary WWE Hall of Famers, the Rock and Roll Express, Earl Hebner and his son, Brian Hebner, will be in attendance, the great Boris Zukov, will be in attendance legendary manager jj Dillon of the four horsemen also another wwe hall of famer baby doll a longtime nemesis of jim Cornette, and from the world of glow you've got gremlina so there's something for everybody at this event and we look forward to seeing everyone at tmpt con 3 the 35th anniversary of the midnight express and jim Cornette. So let's wrap it up here nice. Let's get it over to somebody that knows the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette very well. So let's get it on over to Jerry Jarrett. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno San Martino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. 
Check out our page, check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. And for all you Android users, please hit us up on Google Play or Player FM. And all you iOS users, please check us out on TuneIn Radio, Automatic, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio. And now, without any further ado, one of the most influential minds in the history of the wrestling business. He's an author, he's been a promoter, he's been a wrestler, and now he is one of the men behind the Jarrett Parsons Wrestling TV on Roku. He is the one and only Jerry Jarrett. Please enjoy. on the line is a legendary promoter and a legendary booker. He's also a former CWA World Tag Team Champion as well as a former CWA and US, USWA and TNA owner. He is, of course, a Memphis and NWA Hall of Famer. He is Jerry Jarrett. Jerry, welcome to Two Man Power Trip, actually, for the second time. You haven't been on the show in many years, but this is the second time joining us, so thank you and welcome. Yes, I appreciate you having me on. Now, obviously, wanted to talk to you today about a, a kind of a new venture, a new project that's been in the works, and something you can get available on Roku, which is great and easily accessible and just perfect for, for a real wrestling fan and so easy to access, which is great. But that is the Jarrett Parsons Wrestling, TV Wrestling. Can you just tell us a little bit about this new venture you got going on, Jarrett Parsons TV Wrestling? Well, what we wanted to do is naturally preserve what we think was great wrestling, the classic back in the territory days. And uh, we're trying to make it as entertaining as possible with uh, wraparounds where we tell some circumstances about the matches. In other words, why this happened and that happened and and, uh, you know, so that the people not only can watch the classic wrestling, but can kind of get some insight into what was happening at the time. We currently have 15 channels and uh, five or six more in the works right now. Bill Apter is going to join us. Um, we have plans for Jerry Lawler to join us. Uh, a couple of independents. Uh, we've got a girl wrestling promotion coming on. So we're our attempt is to keep improving the network. 
Very, very cool. I just love kind of the, the old school flavor you got going on, especially when you can relive some of that Memphis wrestling, which obviously you, know, you become very, very famous for. But is that kind of the, the highlight of uh, JPTV? Is it, is it the, the Memphis library that's on there? <laughs> well, that's one of them. But, of course, the people in Portland appreciate the Portland wrestling and the mm-hmm. people in Continental. And, and uh, I personally and am enjoying the Sheik and Bobo Brazil and Vic the Bruiser and some of those fellas. They're very, very cool to go back and kind of relive some of the, the, the glory days or the golden era, if you will, of pro wrestling. Just, you know, so cool. So when you thought about this and you kind of acquiring footage and this and that, you know, how did this all come about where you said, you know what, I'm going to get this channel and I'm going to put it on Roku. I want to make this very easily accessible. My partner, Dave Parsons, uh, has been a collector of videos, and he's bought some, (coughs) you know, as much uh, original programming as he could find over the years. And he had a little business where he made DVDs of the classic wrestling. My dream was to have Olympus, Star Search. Uh, Olympus is a new company I formed. And the idea is that wrestlers are not superstars, are not born backstage at Madison Square Garden or the Mid-South Coliseum. They come from the smoke-filled arenas and Quonset huts and National Guard armories and high school gyms around the countries, and they're still going on. And I have seen several talents that if they just had a stage or a platform, um, they they would move on and uh, Vince McMahon would be after them, or if we still had TNA, we'd be after them. And I couldn't get anybody, a broadcast partner, to believe in me. So Dave is the one that said, why don't we get our own network? And I said, well, because I don't have 30 or 40 million to put in it. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, no, uh, the I think the Roku people like us. And he had had some preliminary conversations and one thing led to another, and uh, we are very happy with them. And I think that streaming broadcast um, is the future of television. Um, right now, our network is seen all over the world. We get emails from Europe and Germany and Australia, everywhere. So it's a great broadcast partner and hopefully we will uh, have Olympus Star Search to add to the channel and it would be current programming. A new show every week. Looking forward to that. That is cool. And do you update when you when you have the you know the, let's say Memphis or Portland the library, do you update and, and add on more episodes each month yeah, or each week what, as well? What, what our plan was, and we may accelerate it some, is to put four new episodes up every month 
on most of the channels um, so that the fans can, you know, get in the habit of watching us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, right now we have four, uh, 12 or 14 shows in the can. That So we're like three months ahead. Pretty great. And, and like you said, the Dave Parsons, Rock Parsons, is acquiring some footage, and obviously you own some footage. Is that kind of you know a hard thing to do now with WWE kind of going in there and trying to grasp up all the libraries, and you know like they've been doing for many many years, trying to gobble up a lot of the other wrestling libraries that are out there? Uh, well, you know they have a tremendous amount of product, and uh, I'm guessing that they just know they can't buy it all. And uh, or maybe they don't want to. They have uh, they have an, enough to run their network twenty four seven. Yeah, they definitely. I mean, they have so much content uh, on the network; it is crazy. But I love that the Memphis stuff and, and the Portland stuff, and then you know, there's some ICW stuff, some IWA stuff. Uh, you got Vancouver, you got the Atlantic Grand Prix. I mean, you have so much stuff on there. Like you said, it's going to be impossible for WWE to kind of gobble it all up, but it gives you yeah. something different as well. Yeah, and then our difference is that that we add the personal touch of having someone either very knowledgeable about the territory or somebody that was in it. Um. You know, like Rip Rogers wrestled for the Popos. So <laughs> Rip was very helpful in, in giving the background on the various matches that we watched. See, that's great. And, you know, you throw in, you know, Shane Douglas and Bill Eady, like you said, Bill After maybe coming on board, Jerry Lowell. I mean, that is so cool. But speaking about the Popos and speaking about ICW, did you ever take any of that feud when, when ICW was around and obviously you were the king, so quote-unquote, the kings of Memphis, were you ever taking any of that stuff personally that the Papos were saying, or was that all kind of in business? No, no, I, I realized that it was business. They were trying to carve them out of territory, and they just picked a bad area. And... uh when they folded, Randy Savage called me and said, uh, I just want to tell you that I appreciate um, that you didn't take it personal um, because several people told me that you didn't and you uh, you fought the good fight and kicked our butt and I just want to tell you that I respect you. And that conversation led to me saying, well, what are you going to do? And you don't know. And <clears throat> Randy came to work for me. And we drew a lot of money with him and Lawler and him and Dundee and him and Dutch. All the people they had, what the fans thought was that they were building a feud for a year. So it really did huge box office. And so I brought Randy and Lanny and Angelo and uh, the Weingroff kid 
you know, I brought a lot of their crew um, to the Tennessee Territory. And Randy and I remain personal friends. <coughs> Excuse me, I admire Randy. Uh, found him to be very honorable and a man of his word. And uh, we were friends until his death. It is great on your part to keep it professional and see, you know, like I can really make money with this guy. I'm not going to take any of that ICW stuff. You know, they were just trying to carve out their territory, you know, try to make the name. So it is great that you're able to plug him in. And obviously he did so well there. And obviously the WWF really noticed him there. And that big feud with Jerry Lawler, I mean, just, that's just amazing, amazing stuff. And like you said, it did big business for you. Yes, they sure did. Now, with Memphis, obviously you were owner, booker, promoter, whatever you want to say. I mean, you did it, did it all for Memphis, and you really built that up. Do you think that without your partnership and friendship with Jerry Lawler, do you think that that territory would, would ever have been able to basically become what it did? Well, Jerry was a great talent and contributed greatly. But uh, we were drawing a lot of money big houses before Jerry came into the business and uh, we were really successful and then when Jerry went out for a period uh, we flourished then I really think that a, a sound solid business is bigger than any one person uh, I, me included I think had I met an untimely death, uh, I think Memphis wrestling would have continued. So many great cast of characters. Like you said, when Jerry got hurt, you kind of plugged in Jimmy Valiant, and Jimmy Valiant was great. And then when Jerry came back, he had a Jimmy Valiant, Jerry Lawler feud. So it's just the booking, you know, your part, you did execute it pretty much perfectly as far as being able to get the great storylines, get the great drama, get the great feuds, or really, you know, the fans, get them really behind it. But real key, you were able to continue to make money. Yes. Well, I, I appreciate that nice compliment. Um, it was a 18, 20-hour-a-day job. And that's the reason several times I experienced burnout. <coughs> Excuse me. And I'm blessed. Jerry Lawler was here to give me a mental break and I'd go to my home in Florida and recharge my batteries and come back and go at it again. Now, is that one of those things where you're kind of booking half the year and he is booking the other half? Is that how you guys kind of did it? No, no. It, it had no time factor. Oh, okay. Uh, I would always book for a year and sometime longer year and a half, and uh, then I'd usually be gone three or four months. So, you know, I booked 70 or 80% of the time. Now, with that booking, Memphis was always known as being a little bit crazier, a little bit more wild, maybe some more street fights, maybe some more realism, maybe some more blood than some other territories. Was that just kind of your creative juices? Was that kind of where those fans wanted to go? You know, how come Memphis was kind of almost ahead of its time, so to speak, in, in, in terms of stuff we would see later on down the road? 
Well, I was a I was a big wrestling fan. My mother sold tickets from the time I was three years old at the weekly matches, and so that put me at the uh, Hippodrome Arena in Nashville, and I kind of grew up there. I sold programs and took up tickets and ushered and did just about every job there is to do. <laughs> and honestly, there were times when I would get bored. Um, so when I had the opportunity to start writing and booking on my own, one of my goals was to not allow the people to get bored. And the other thing, I remember a conversation with Eddie Graham. Eddie said, you're going to kill your territory, Jerry. (laughs) Hmm. I said, uh, you know, Eddie, we can have all of the foolishness and nonsense and street brawls and coal miners' love matches and scalpel matches as long as we keep it real. We'll survive and thrive. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of the world caught on to it. My uh, Seattle match went to every territory in the nation. Mm -hmm. Yes. And uh, the street brawls and, um, you know, ECW, um, I think they got the idea of extreme wrestling. from some of the people being in here and participating in our style of wrestling. Um, No doubt. The Tupelo concession stand brawl. A lot of people have said, I'm sorry, I've got a cough. A lot of people have said, um, we were hardcore before hardcore was cool. And that, if you've seen that tape, the one thing that you come away from it, it was wild and crazy, but it was real. And I think that's the secret to our success. So good. And Memphis, like like I said, way ahead of his time, ECW definitely stole, stole some stuff. And obviously, Heyman ended up coming through that territory as, as a young guy. So he definitely got some ideas and some booking habits and, you know, learned some stuff and definitely took it with him as he went on down the road. That's for sure. Yes. Um, Bill Dundee took our style of wrestling and literally saved Bill Watts' territory. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, I gave Bill some talent and, and sent Bill Dundee as the booker, and uh, they turned it around and turned it around quickly. They had some of their best years, and obviously, big money, biggest money makers when Bill <coughs> Dundee was the booker for Bill Watts. Yes, and uh, Bill Watts repaid me by coming in and running opposition to me in Memphis. <laughs> Crazy world. Yep, that that's the crazy world of the wrestling business. And 
you know, we were talking about different things as far as the gimmicks and different things like that. But the rumors that you always hear is that, you know, in the, in the 70s or whenever it was, but Elvis Presley was rumored to be in the crowds watching those Memphis. So everyone kind of had their eye on Memphis, right, at one point or another at that wrestling yeah. territory? Yeah, he came to the matches two or three times and asked us to keep it quiet and have an area where the fans wouldn't know he was there. And we accommodated him. That's pretty wild. You know, arguably the, the biggest star of this era, you know, just this mon- monumental, just huge star is coming to Memphis Wrestling because he loves the matches. Was he that big of a wrestling fan? Uh, yeah, I guess he was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <clears throat> I apologize. You know, I have met more, I guess you'd call them closet fans, hmm. than I have people that have just said I love wrestling over the years. Uh, the favorite saying is, you know, I don't watch wrestling, but I was just going through the channels the other night. And and then they'll quote a Lawler or Dundee or Handsome Jimmy Valiant uh, interview uh, word for word. <laughs> so, uh, I, I mean, there were a lot of fans back in those days. Funny, the, the closet fans is very, very true. They, they, they pretended they didn't watch or they did not watch him, but they knew a lot about the business. But with Memphis, you know, we're saying Elvis is, is coming through the, the territory, so to speak, as a fan. But just think about all those wrestlers that came through that territory and built themselves up and, you know, kind of learned their trade and really took that knowledge from Memphis and took it to the WWF or WCW or wherever. And I always think of Hulk Hogan kind of, you know, starting out going through Memphis and the Ultimate Warrior and Sting. I mean, these are some of the guys that became the biggest names ever in the history of the business, and they're coming through Memphis. And basically, you kind of saw something in them at a young age, and you said, man, there was something about these guys. So what did you kind of see in the Hogans and the Warriors and the Sting? You're like, man, i got to bring them to Memphis. i got to hone, hone their skills. I'm going to, you know, put them on TV and, and, you know, try to make some money with these guys. You know, charisma is like pixie dust. Um, you really can't define it. You can't put it in a bottle. But I think that I'm blessed to be able to spot it. Um, my wife and I would sit and watch American Idol in the first seven years they were on. Early, early during the preliminary rounds, I would say, that's your winner. And, you know, it's just maybe it's luck. I don't know. But I saw something in Hogan uh, much, much more than him just being a big man. Uh, Couldn't make an interview. I worked downstairs in my basement. Uh, hours and hours. Uh, and uh, my cameramen and sound people would laugh because I'd be posing, and of course I don't look anything like <laughs> But I'd be posing and 
where he would, I was behind the camera, and, and you know, he would mimic it and, and ended up getting it down pretty darn good. Uh, I carried him to Tupelo, and he was a great athlete, and he about killed me when I was trying to teach him to do the leg drop where it looked effective. And, uh, you know, they were some great times for me when when he was in New York and drawing all that money. Uh, it was a great feeling of satisfaction. Man, it's like the, the ultimate satisfaction. You see something in somebody that maybe somebody that nobody else really sees and they become something. And obviously with the Hulkster, you saw something like the charisma, like you said, that undeniable attraction, whatever it is with the Hulkster. And he, you know, became the biggest star ever in the history of the wrestling business. It's pretty crazy that he starts with you, you help train him along. And like you said, it's definitely satisfaction. You know, does that kind of make you aspire like, all right, I got to find the next guy. The next guy after that, is that how, you know, you kept, Hunting it down, did you, like you said, or is it almost just a little bit of luck involved as well? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and you see, that's why I really want to do Olympus Star Search, because I think there's a lot of talent out there. Uh, Vince seems to be having some hard times right now. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think it correlates to there not being a territory system anymore and you can't go out and pluck experienced talent. And, uh, you know, I've always contended that it was very, very difficult, if not impossible, to create a superstar uh, in a wrestling school. You learn the fundamentals there, but until... Somebody teaches you to project your personality, make a believable interview, and believe in yourself. Um, my contribution to so many of the wrestlers was in conversation and not in the gym. Um, you know, one Jimmy Hart comes to mind, uh, Jimmy Cornette comes to mind. Uh, you know, I would tell the people. Don't try to be somebody else. Uh, Be yourself. Uh, God made you unique, and uh, the only way you're ever going to really be a star is when you project your personality. And uh, I believe that, and I believe we could do it again. Obviously, with Jimmy Harden and, and Cornette, great examples because they came through Memphis, young guys, and then they became huge stars in Memphis, and then even bigger stars when they went to WWF and when Cornette went to JCP and the NWA, and obviously eventually WWF as well. But, I mean, man, think about just those names alone that we've mentioned, Hogan, Warrior, Sting, Jimmy Hart, Cornette, some of the biggest names of all time, and they're coming through Memphis, and you're helping them basically mold their careers. It's it's pretty astonishing that – all these amazing guys came from Memphis. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, you know, there's uh, Plowboy Frazier and Coco Beware, the Birdman, and and so many that 
aren't up there at the super superstar level, but I'm, you know, I'm proud of every one of them. And every time somebody would leave me, I would hope they <coughs> came back a multimillionaire. <coughs> And when you think about Memphis, obviously, we mentioned Jerry Lawler, you always think about his feuds. And I think that's one of the first things outside of this amazing list of talent and all these guys coming in and these guys making big names. But I always think about the feuds of Jerry Lawler. And I guess the Lawler-Fargo feud kind of set it off and really put Lawler on the map. Is is that kind of how you see it as well? Yes, yes. Uh, Jackie Fargo, I watched his matches at the Hippodrome when I was a child. And he was retired in Memphis when I broke in, when I started booking. So I went over there to the restaurant or bar that he was running. I think he owned it. And uh, called the Southern Frontier and said... uh, Jackie, you look great. Uh, I wish you'd come back to work in Memphis. Uh, You know, I know that on the end of your career, you didn't make a lot of money, but we're headed in the right direction. And uh, I think you can make a lot of money and have a second career in your life. And he did, and... uh, He just, it was amazing how Jackie got over and it didn't take him two matches and he was back full stride. And, uh, you know, he, he had a great second career. And then he passed the torch to Lawler. And, of course, that kick-started Lawler's career and made it a whole lot easier for him to become our star. Love how that happens, the passing of the torch, and I love how Lawler really excelled. I mean, he really became a top guy. He really became the territory, so to speak, as far as that the great main eventer could always draw money, could put him in there with anybody, he's always going to have a good match. And I just love that Andy Kaufman gets plucked from Hollywood, and he wants to be in the wrestling business. He, you know, Andy Kaufman loved pro wrestling. It just kind of fit him like a glove that he'd be such a good heel, but I love that he ended up feuding with Jerry Lawler in Memphis. Did you kind of feel the same way? Did you think that, man, this is going to be great, and not only that, it's going to catch a lot of mainstream eyeballs? No, I really didn't. When Andy called me, um, he was such a nice guy, and he said, <laughs> I love wrestling and I've incorporated it into my stand-up comedy routine but I would just give anything to be able to be in a real wrestling match and he said I have crowned myself the intergender champion of the world and he said I wrestle in my nightclub act and it's a shoot. I, I really think I can beat every woman. And I said, well, Andy, 
you're going you're in for a rude awakening because you can't hmm. and uh he said uh well you don't have to pay me i'll come to memphis and and put up my own money as prize money if you'll just let me wrestle so he did and uh jerry Lowell and i were standing at the back and uh a very stout woman was about to clean his plow and collect his $5,000. So Lola ran down to the ring and interfered and saved Andy's money, and then that led to a... Andy just picked up on it and made an impromptu interview, and the crowd went wild. So, you know, we kind of stumbled into the Lawler andy match because Andy was not a very big guy and certainly wasn't muscular but uh, the fans reacted so because he made them so mad with his interviews teaching them how to use toilet tissue and toothbrush (laughs) you know saving, saving the southern hicks so uh, you know, it turned out just great and uh, drew a lot of money. And Andy was so into the business that he would wear a neck brace back to Hollywood and make interviews about Jerry Lawler and how he had piled it. When we did the angle, he went to the hospital and my intent was for him to go and then check him out and let him go. Well, he stayed two days. You know, he told the doctors, I think my neck's broke. So they kept him and did MRIs and x-rays. And <laughs> <laughs> he just, you know, he had the wrestling mentality and loved the business so much that that he just sold everything all the time in the ring and out. I just love how he got it. You know, he got the psychology of wrestling. He, you know, he's going to stay at the hospital not to break kayfabe. He just he just seemed like the perfect fit for the wrestling world. Yeah, I'm really surprised that somebody had studied Andy Kaufman tapes and and tried to uh, at least mimic his interviews because they were classic. He was so good at making you dislike him. Even when he sometimes he'd do his comic routine, he wanted the crowd to boo him, which was just hilarious. I mean, he just knew how to be a heel and he knew how to you know, work the, the crowd, if you will, and he said, you know, a lot of it apparently he got from watching old school wrestling. Yeah. You seem to be very knowledgeable about the territories and classic wrestling. And uh, you're up there in Vince's backyard, right? That is true. Very, very close. Are you uh, a WWE fan? 
You know, not so much anymore. I haven't really gotten into them so much. I'm kind of more of a, I would say, more of an old school fan. Like if I was going to watch wrestling nowadays, I go back to the old stuff and, and enjoy that. For instance, you know, I might go back and watch. I have a DVD of Jerry Lawler versus Andy Kaufman, or you know, which is literally the the whole feud put together. Or I might go back and watch uh, Hogan and Warrior from WrestleMania Six. Something just more old school. Uh, I was much more of a um, you know, more more of a wrestling fan than, than you say than, than nowadays, where I feel like the psychology is gone and it's much more spots. And, yeah, well, the, reason, the reason it's gone is the talent. <clears throat> you know, if Vince could hatch Stone Cold Steve Austin and and do that angle over again, he would. But we broke Stone Cold. We broke broke Steve Austin in in our Dallas wrestling school and then put him in the ring, brought him to Tennessee and he got some real good experience and then he went on to, I think, WCW. <coughs> but, you know, if if you don't have the talent can make the storylines believable, then they come across as scripted and wrestling's always been scripted. Am I, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's almost too rehearsed, too scripted, too choreographed. It's like they're reading off teleprompters, things like that. And that that's not the way it should be. You need, you know, like like the Roddy Pipers or, or like the Andy Kaufmans where it's just kind of, you feel like it's real. Like, wow, you know, I, I know this is scripted, but you get lost in the moment because it's, these guys really believe in themselves, and they're not scripted. They're, they're being themselves kind of turned up. So it, it definitely is is lacking in a lot of areas. Like you said, the talent is not what it used to be. There's no more larger-than-life characters. Yeah, well, for for an interview to be great, it has to be ad-lib or extemporaneous. Now, the writers can give bullet points or themes and minor direction, but the minute you go to writing out their interview form, then the the talent has no expression, so therefore their personality cannot come across. <coughs> and... Uh, you know, I just I I think that that day will come back. Um, I think hopefully I'll be a party to finding some new talent that's like The Rock or Jerry Lawler or Hulk Hogan or you know any of the stars that really captured your attention with WWF or WB, whatever you want to say, with Vince. Back in the day with USW, you were, you were kind of the feeder league, and even so, when that whole steroid scandal happened, you know, Vince held you in pretty high regard. You were supposedly going to be, you know, the president of the WWF. I guess, you know, maybe you lost touch, or, or how come, you know, maybe he won't kind of go back to the, the, the well that seemed to always work and him kind of use you, so to speak, or, you know, Try to you know you get uh, some info from you and and get some um, 
I don't know how to say, you know, get some uh, chutzpah back in the business, get some, uh, you know, get some fire back in the wrestling business. Well, very few people have quit Vince. <laughs> and I went up there because of a promise to his dad. And as soon as his trial was over, uh, I started packing my bags to come home because I really missed Tennessee and uh, home. And my guess is uh, for a year or two or three, I don't remember now, it's been so long, (coughs) Vince would periodically call me to see if I had any interest in coming up there. And, you know, every time I tell him, no, Vince, I'm I'm not. At the time, you know, God had really blessed me. And I was in a 107-acre farm with a $14,000 square foot house that I lived in and had my cows and my horses and you know, I'd tell Vince, I wouldn't, you know, I don't want to leave here ever again. Um, I did go to WCW and I called Vince and asked him if there's a, you know, if he would get angry if I did. But the deal was I didn't have to go to Atlanta. You know, I could help him from afar. And Vince has never made that kind of offer to me. <coughs> but you know, I I think that what if I had to tell Vince my idea of what he needs, I would say start your own opposition. Um, get two or three people and subsidize them so that there's some semblance of the territory again, so wrestlers can. Russell, you know, the kids on these independent circuits, they're lucky if they get two matches a month. Well, when we were running Memphis, we were in two towns a night, seven days a week. So so Russell's got a lot of experience. And they'd try something, and the fans wouldn't react, so they'd cut that out and try something else. I feel like... They need that territory system just so these guys can just get better because I feel like just working NXT or just going through the Performance Center isn't quite cutting it or just taking guys that were big names in the Indies and bringing them in. It kind of, I don't know, I just I feel like that's not really working. These guys don't have uh, the charisma. They don't have the mic skills. They're kind of uh, just all over the place as far as in-ring work. Some of them are good in-ring, but then they, they lack it. There's really nobody that has uh, a complete package where they can work and, and cut promos and be larger than life and have the charisma and have the look. No, and I, I think their system of having writers write everything out, uh, it's like putting a muzzle on the wrestlers. I don't think anybody can ever develop their personality. You know, it, it's... You can't overproduce a, a wrestler. It has to be extemporaneous. Uh, you know, you have to 
as a wrestler, you have to be able to listen to the fans and adapt your ring work to their reaction and responses. Uh, It is amazing to me when I helped Jeff and we started TNA, see guys get in the ring and, and rehearse their whole match. And I'd go ask them and I'd say, what do you do if it don't get over? And they'd just shrug their shoulders. Hmm. That is crazy to, to, kind of, to kind of think that. It is so scripted. There's no room for, you know, what if this doesn't work? What if that doesn't work? You want the crowd, obviously, to react to the match. I feel like that is totally just a, a lost art of listening to the crowd and calling it in the ring. It's completely lost. Yeah, and then you want the fans to be able, you don't concern yourself when they get home and, go to analyzing it, but while they're at the matches, uh, while they're watching your pay-per-view or TV show, allow the fans to suspend disbelief. Allow them to get into it like a Rocky movie. You know, when Rocky Balboa makes his big comeback, it's exhilaration, and people usually stand up and cheer in a movie theater. Now, those people know that it's not a real fight, but they suspend their disbelief while they're watching the movie. That's what good wrestling is. Yeah, that's 100%, 100%. I totally agree. Now, before I kind of forget, I wanted to go back to the, the WWF and you taking over as president. Was that as close as kind of we think it is where as far as Vince actually going to jail and you actually about to take over the, you know, the, the lineage and the legacy of the McMahon WWF? Well, that was the reason I went up. And, you know, a lot of people misunderstood. Yes, I sat in on all the creative meetings with Vince. And, uh, but my, my job was a whole lot more than that. Uh, I spent a lot of time with the uh, treasurer of the company. I spent a lot of time with talent relations and I spent time really learning the business. And, uh, you know, I don't think it would have been the Jerry Jarrett show. I think Vince would have run the WWE from his jail cell, <laughs> but I would have been the conduit for him. Pretty great if you think about as far as his thought of you and his respect level for you that you know, he handpicks you as the guy, hey, if something happens to me with a steroid scandal, you know, this is not looking good, I may go to jail. Pretty high regard and pretty high respect that Vince McMahon's like, well, you know, Jerry Jarrett, I, I got to have you in command if, if something happens. Well, here, here's what Vince said. You know, we had hours and hours of phone conversation. And he said, Jerry, I've got some great, great talent here. He said, Pat Patterson, you know, arguably is the best finish man in the 
ever been in the business. J.J. Uh, J. Dillon does a great job with talent relations. I've got great people that set up the towns. Uh, Kevin Dunn is as good as they come with producing TV. Linda handles the corporate and does a great job. <clears throat> but I don't have anybody that has done all of these jobs. And you have because you started your business and made it very, very successful. So he said, I just, you know, my job at WWE is oversight. And and then, you know, I, the nuts and bolts, I contribute heavily to the creative. And I, I don't have anybody that I feel comfortable with will hold things together if this thing turns out bad. And Jerry McDivitt, his attorney, thought things were going to turn out bad. And he told me that. He said, prepare yourself, Jerry. This, it's hard to beat the U- United States government. And then Jeremy Tippett kind of saved uh, Vince's ass, uh, so to speak, and kind of uh, definitely helped him get out of some trouble. And then obviously you didn't want to stay in the overpriced Sanford, Connecticut, or, or Greenwich, Connecticut. You rather spend some time in that huge acre, fourteen thousand square foot home. Right. You know, I just I miss my family. My younger son was playing football and wrestling and and uh Vince was true to his word. He saw to it that I never missed a Friday night football game. Uh there were times when the connections didn't work out and he'd send me on a private plane. Uh I have nothing but the greatest respect for Vince in in those areas. And if you think about your relationship with Vince a little bit later on, when they do the USWA versus WWF feud, which is just great, if anybody can kind of find that footage or maybe uh, hopefully Vince doesn't own it, hopefully it could end up on Jared Parsons' uh, TV wrestling. But Vince actually turns heel. That's the origination, if anybody has never seen it, of the heel Mr. McMahon character. It all started down there in Memphis with you. (laughs) Yeah. One day we were at a uh, at, at Vince's house, uh, looking, talking about something. Somebody said something. I forget who it was, but Vince cut him down pretty good. And uh, so after the meeting broke up, I said, because you got to remember, I I I did not fear for my job and everybody else up there did. So so I could you know, I could be honest with Vince. And I said, Vince, we are constantly looking for new talent. I said, You are the most natural heel I've ever run across. You ought to get in the ring. And he just laughed, and we went on. And the next day, he said, 
you were serious, wasn't you? And I said, yeah. He said, well, what do you have in mind? I said, well, we can get you involved with Jerry down in Memphis, and you can cut interviews and practice, and we're not national TV, so nobody will see it except the Memphis market. We won't even put it on the bicycle tape. And uh, you can practice your heel interviews, and (coughs) then we can go down there, and you can get some in-ring experience. So he said, okay. He asked me to produce him on his interviews, and I did. We had a lot of fun with it. And he was the most natural heel I've ever seen. Still is. So good. And if you go back to USWA, he's so good and so funny as a heel. And then if you think about the heel McMahon character that started with Bret Hart in late 97, and then the big feud with Steve Austin in 98 and 99 and so on, Think about that character, one of the greatest heels of all times. Everything he does, his mannerisms, his facial expressions, the way he talks, the way he acts, the way he moves. He is, I, I don't know if that's you know, necessarily really true to Vince, that he's really just you know, kind of that asshole heel in real life, but he is such a good, believable heel. It, it, it is, you're right, it is unbelievable. He is so good at it. Yeah, well, in general, he's not a heel. Um you know, he's got a big heart. When I came home, he continued to pay me for a year, and I'd call him every two or three weeks, and I'd say, quit sending these checks. And then he told me, yeah, go to work for Bischoff. He said, well, just, they won't listen to anything you say because they think they know it all, and uh, it'll mean Ted Turner will go broke quicker. So he continued paying me while WCW was paying. So, no, Vince has got a big heart. Um, but he can be a real smart ass. <laughs> and I saw that side of him. And, and when he worked that program with Steve Austin, that's why it got over so good. He was that guy you loved to hate, and Austin was, you know, obviously the guy you loved to love. It was the perfect marriage with some good chemistry, but Vince did such a good job carrying it on his end as far as being that heel-driving force. Absolutely. Absolutely. With USWA, did he always kind of envision that as, as a feeder league? Because so many guys have kind of, been in USWA, come, in, come through, and then Vince kind of used them on TV. Or obviously, Jerry Lawler, you know, came from USWA, and he was using him at that time as well. Was that kind of an always a, a signed, sealed, and delivered kind of deal with you guys? Or was that one of those handshake-type deals where USWA and WWF were going to work together? Yeah, handshake. Me and Vince Sr., Vince's daddy, were really, really close. And, uh, you know, it just continued. As far as later on, obviously, you know, 2005, when Vladimir Kozlov, you had him, I guess, under management control, and you brought him into the the WWE. Was that because of your relationship with Vince? You you saw this guy, obviously you felt like he could, make money in WB and obviously felt like they could use him. Was that one of those things where you were like, well, you know, Vince, you know, we have this close relationship. I have this guy. 
I want you to take a look at them first. No. Uh, um, I was very, very unhappy uh, with Dixie Carter and the whole Carter family Hmm. because they had told me that they had no designs on promoting. They wanted to be our silent partner. And, of course, the day after we signed the deal, uh, Dixie made it very clear that she wanted to be a female Vince McMahon. Oh, boy. And and so, yeah, it was just, it was terrible. And I was miserable. I think it's why I had my heart attack, the stress. <laughs> and every time I would try to give Jeff my stock, and say, I've just got to get out of here, son. Uh, he would uh, pull the divorce card. And, uh, you know, that I had left him when he was a child. And, mm-hmm. and uh, he didn't come back to live with me until he was 14. And anyway, so I was between a rock and a hard place. I knew... My doctor had told me, uh, Jerry, you, if it's your wife causing you stress, leave her. If it's your job, quit it. Stress is why you're, I have held your heart in my hand. And so I knew I had to get out. And so I was working with some uh, Russians <laughs> sound like Donald Trump now. <laughs> <laughs> they were, you know, some Russian investors, and I had some great times going up to Brighton Beach in New York, meeting with them. And uh, I really think the guy I was dealing with was the Russian mob, but I don't, uh, speculation. Anyway, one day he called me and said, uh, I've got a, a Russian that's the national Sambu champion. He's as big as Hulk Hogan, and he wants to be a professional wrestler. Will you take him into TNA and get him started? And I said, well, let me call Jeff. So I called Jeff, and Jeff said, well, you know, i got to run it by Dixie. And um, he called back and said, Dixie said no. And I said, well, that puts me between a rock and a hard place with my Russian Jewish people. And um, I said, do you care if I take him to New York? WWE, and Jeff kind of laughed and said, oh, yeah, Vince really loves you. I said, well, I think he does. So anyway, uh, he said, yeah, if you can. So I called Vince, and Vince said, "Uh, will you put your stamp on him? And I said, yes. If I have to, I'll come to Stanford and train him. Myself, so Vince gave him a contract over the telephone. Wow! And Vince, uh, 
I said, when do you want him up there? And he told me, and he said, why don't you come, why don't you bring him? I'd like to see you. I haven't seen you in a long time. So I did, and it dawned on me that, you know, the Carters were money marks, and they didn't know that, you know, this no publicity is terrible. Bad publicity is better than no publicity. Right, yes. (laughs) So I knew that that would be their attitude. So I went up there, and uh, Vince said, how bad do you want to get out? And I said, real bad. He said, "Uh, well, stand over here and let me put my arm around you and take a picture and we'll put it on the internet. <laughs> sure enough, Bob Gardner called me the next day and said, I can't work with you anymore. I said, oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. <clears throat> then what really surprised me, Jeff said, Dad, we need some space between us for a while. And I said, are you talking business or personal? And he said, both. I think Jeff was afraid he was going to get fired. And uh, anyway, that uh, separation lasted five years and was the really tragic era or period in my life. But anyway, we patched up things. and You know, he's not TNA and I'm not either. I don't know if they're still in business, but... uh, yeah, Vince helped me escape the Carters. They are still in business technically as Impact Wrestling. Not obviously, Dixie ended up selling it to uh, the Fight Network out of Canada, but they are kind of on light support. They're not really doing that well as far as ratings. They've you know completely fallen, completely slipped. Um, they're trying to kind of rebound, but they uh, they're struggling quite a bit. So you've got to be honest. Yeah. Well, you know, I haven't followed them in years. Were you so, surprised? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, were you surprised with Jeff at all as far as kind of him, yeah, obviously you guys reconcile, but with him and Vince reconciling and him being in the WB Hall of Fame? Well, I am surprised on Vince's part. I really am because the problems Jeff and Vince had, and I don't want to get into that. Right. I didn't think Vince would ever forgive him. But he did. And uh, now, you know, Jeff is uh, an agent and has a little hand in creative, and I think they're getting back together pretty good. You know, Jeff was a great talent for them, the Double J. Oh, yes. Loved uh, Jeff Jarrett, WB. And a little bit of uh, you know history lesson as far as our show. About uh, four and a half years ago when we first started this whole thing, we you know we didn't obviously didn't have anybody as far as interviewing. We had a little bit of a wrestling background, a little bit of sports rep background. We had done zero interviews. And we contacted Jeff, kind of gave him our story and gave him our spiel. And he's like, yeah, I'll give you guys 
a shot. You know, he's like, somebody, you know, somebody's got to give you a shot. And, and uh, so it's pretty crazy to think that our first interview was with a guy that had such prestige in the business. Your son, Jeff, was the first guy ever to give us an interview on this show. So I always kind of just, you know, always I kind of hold him in high regard. And every time I see him at autograph signing stuff, I always remind him. And, you know, he, I don't know if he really remembers me or not, but he always acts like he does. And he, he's just very nice about it. So, you know, I always kind of remember Jeff just, been a real sweetheart of a guy and uh, very nice and very you know very up to just like you very up to giving kind of young guys a good break yeah yeah jeff uh, has had his fight with his demons but you know i really thought he would uh beat it and he has um, because jeff is maybe the hardest working person i've ever known I mean, he just works around the clock. Do you think he possibly got that work ethic from you when you used to work the 18, 20 hours a day putting together and booking Memphis Wrestling? (laughs) Well, he certainly knows how hard it is to be successful. And I think it's not just the wrestling business. Um... I think everybody that I don't know of anybody that works from nine to five and makes it in starting their own business. I think everybody has to work around the clock. That is absolutely absolutely right, hundred percent. And as we hit the wind down button, as we start to wind it down. I just got to ask you because in your career, obviously you were a pro wrestler, but I know you've said before that pro wrestling itself, you didn't really care for wrestling as much as you cared for being creative and writing and booking and promoting and being the owner and the operator. What was your kind of favorite part of the business? Was it the writing aspect? Was it the booking aspect? I know you mentioned a little bit of burnout here and there, but was that kind of your favorite aspect? of the Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, You know, I've been a, uh, a, a person that took great pleasure in reading. Uh, when I was in high school and college, I, a lot of people would complain about how much the reading was involved, and I always loved it. Uh, my library now exceeds 3,000 books, and I've read every page of every one of them. Wow. So with that background, being able to write a TV show, an hour and a half live TV uh, every week for 20 years, I couldn't have done it without that background. But also, it was never like work to me. Like when I would take off and go to Florida, my wife would love it. I hated it because, you know, I wanted to get back in the action. But I knew that my mind, you know, I'd sit at the desk and look at a blank paper for four hours. So I knew it was time to rest my brain. And, uh, but, you know, I'd recharge my batteries and take my boat out and (laughs) fish. And, and, uh, but I was always glad to get back in the saddle. 
Now, as far as booking, and we're talking about favorites and things like that, my personal favorite that you put down there in Memphis was Jerry Lawler versus Austin Idol. That feud, you sprinkle in some Tommy Rich, you sprinkle in you know, a little bit of Heyman, a little bit of Bam Bam Bigelow, but mostly it's Idol and Rich versus Lawler, 87. It's basically the feud of the year. I mean, it's just unbelievable. What's your kind of, if, if you even have maybe one favorite, or you can just name a couple maybe, uh, favorite angles or uh, storylines that you booked. Um oh by the way, the the Lawler Idol all that's on Jared Parsons um uh, television. Nice. Nice and, uh, awesome. No, my favorite match as I look back over them all was Jerry Lawler against Jack Briscoe. And uh you know, the I called that program Quest for the Title. And, you know, it lasted a year. And today, you know, I don't know, programs are, what, last two weeks, three weeks, but that one lasted yeah. one year and uh, turned people away. Eddie Graham and I stood at the back of the Coliseum. Uh because Briscoe worked under Eddie, and Eddie kind of brought him along. <laughs> you know, we we sat back there, and and both of us, tears running down our face, because it was so emotional that it had all come together and worked. So that's my favorite. That is awesome because you really can't get much better than as far as Jerry Lawler, one of the all-time all-around best, and Jack Briscoe, my God, one of the best pure wrestlers, one of the best technical wrestlers, just great. And as far as JPTV on Roku, I'm definitely going to be looking forward to uh, Idol and Lawler that's on there. That is very, very cool. And and your favorite and my favorite both involve Lawler, of course, the, the king of Memphis himself. Yes, yes, I was... I was really blessed that I had so many great talents. And uh, where I was really blessed is that I found them first, uh, or I'd probably not have gotten them. <laughs> that is true. There's so, man, there's so many. If you just go through uh, Memphis, it's crazy. You know, the Jesse Ventura, who we didn't mention, huge name. Luthez went through Memphis. Obviously, he didn't start there, but I'm mostly kind of towards the latter part of his career went through Memphis. The Fabulous one started in Memphis. Uh, you had Dusty went through Memphis at one point. I mean, there's so many different guys that went through, through Memphis. Is it crazy looking back and thinking like, oh my God, like the, the list of talent that went through Memphis, it's mind-boggling. Yes, yes. And, and you know, when you reach the autumn of your life, it uh, it's quite fulfilling to be able to look back on the body of your work and say, uh, uh, I did good, and I, I'm real proud of what we accomplished. And te- testimony to it is that Memphis wrestling may very well be today the most popular wrestling of all time. I don't think there's a doubt about it. There's so much influence from Memphis and 
so many people just, just gravitate towards it. And it's so good. And it's so good. Even now, like I was saying, I was watching uh, Lola versus Kaufman not that long ago. I feel like still watches it. You, you know, it doesn't lose its flavor. It doesn't get old or stale. You could still go back and watch it. And it's still good. It's still relatable. And it's just so good. So do you actually have, which if this is possible, do you have any regrets as far as Memphis or any regrets as far as the wrestling business? Well, naturally, I regret the five years that mm. I didn't have Jeff in my life. I, um, you know, I, I I regret cable TV because everybody says, oh, Vince McMahon put the territories out of business. Um, USA Network offered me the program before they offered it to Vince. And, you know, because of my loyalty to the NWA promoters, I turned it down. But somebody, if Vince hadn't have done it, somebody would have. And and cable TV just pulled the curtain back on the territories. And uh, it, what's ironic is now with streaming television, uh, I think it will, in 10 years, make cable obsolete. And uh, hopefully we're in on the ground floor of wrestling on the streaming network. When you look back at your career, obviously spanning all the way back to the, the 60s, I mean, it's just crazy to think, and even before that with your mother in the business and, and obviously with Jeff continuing on, I mean, the Jarrett name is so synonymous with the wrestling business. It's crazy. What do you think when the fans look back and just kind of look at the Jarrett legacy and lineage, what is the stamp? What is the lasting legacy of the Jarretts on the wrestling business? Um, boy, that's a deep one. I'm going to guess that my mantra and I, I talk to every wrestler that ever wrestled in Memphis or in Tennessee for that matter and I would tell them we don't have many rules here but one rule is to keep it real don't do anything in the ring that you're thinking boy they won't believe this shit Excuse me. Uh, so I, I think that um, I think maybe people remember that that as wild as Memphis was, as crazy gimmicks as we had, as far fetched as the some of the stipulations were, uh, I think they will. Say, boy, when I went to the matches, I believed. Uh, they kept it real. I mean, you know, there are some things that I consider a second to that. Uh, I think my daughter being addicted to MTV and me seeing that brought about. Uh, 
the wrestling videos, and and I think that, <coughs> as much as anything, was responsible for the resurgence of wrestling during what we call the glory years. So, you know, I'm proud of the wrestling videos that we started, um, but most I'm proud that we kept it real. If you want to enjoy some of that classic Memphis or Portland, or, you know, and a variety of other awesome old school wrestling, Jarrett Parsons TV Wrestling on Roku. All you got to do is type in that channel, even go online, go to the Roku, and you can add the channel from online, stream some of the great wrestling. Please just give us one last plug, if you will, for Jarrett Parsons TV Wrestling. Um. Well, I hope that we can continue what I've done since 1967 and let's bring a little entertainment into your life. It is some great stuff. And also, I have to mention the podcast as well, Booking Memphis Wrestling. You still got going on. Hot <laughs> Avenue is where you can get that. Is that something you definitely love doing? Do you love doing the podcast? Uh, yeah, I enjoy it because... For me, uh, I've got a great co-host in Sean Reedy, and I just, you know, for me, it's just walk down memory lane once a week for an hour. That is some great stuff, and like I said, you go to Pod Avenue and check out Booking Memphis Wrestling with Jerry Jarrett, and of course, one last time I'll mention it, go to Roku, go to Jarrett Parsons TV Wrestling and get some old school wrestling I know I may watch some Memphis wrestling tonight. Now that you mentioned that uh, Austin Idol versus Jerry Lawler is on there, I may watch some Memphis wrestling tonight. Good, good. And and let me tell you, I really have enjoyed being on. And I wish you all the luck in the world. And if you think your fans can tolerate another interview, call me anytime. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.